Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. Well, good morning again, and welcome to the Grove. We are in week three of a sermon series called Mastermind. And the reason that we chose this series, the reason that we're talking about the power of our thoughts is because we recognize that at church and most where else in our lives, we spend a lot of time focusing on our behaviors and our actions, the things that we should do, the things that we shouldn't do. But if we actually examine it and look at it, most of our actions are informed by how we feel about things. And if you keep going further down or up or whichever direction you're oriented, what we find is that the way that we feel about things is primarily kind of informed by the thoughts that we think. And so if we really want to get at how we can make an impact in our lives and change our behavior and change the way that we feel about things, what we have to do is we have to begin to examine the thoughts that we think that start this whole process from the very beginning. So in week one, we talked about how powerful our thoughts actually are in shaping the direction and the quality of our lives. And so what we talked about was imagine a dog on a leash. That's the way that our brain works a lot of times. And sometimes our thoughts walk alongside of us. And sometimes our thoughts drag us around in life. And so we recognize that our life moves in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And so in week two, we picked up from there and said, okay, if this statement is true, if our life really does move in the direction of our strongest thoughts, what are those thoughts? And how do we replace maybe the negative thoughts with more positive thoughts? And so we talked about the tips and the strategies, and I've heard a lot of feedback from y'all about how helpful and how meaningful that conversation was about the way that we can let go of some of the things that we're worried about, some of the things that we feel burdened by, and how we can begin to choose new thoughts that orient our lives in a different direction. And so this morning, we're picking up on all of that, and we're having a conversation about Where do we go from here? Because the reality is our thoughts keep happening, and sometimes we can choose different thoughts than other thoughts, and sometimes they're more negative than we'd like them to be, and sometimes they're more positive than we'd like them to be. But we're going to pick up from where we left off last week and talk about where our thoughts come from in the first place. And so to do that, we're going to talk about the way our brain works. And I did this a little bit in week one, and so this might be a refresher. Um, some of you look like you were sleeping, and so this might be new information for some of you. But this is, this, is how, this is how our brain works. It takes in information through our senses, through our, the way that we see, the way that we smell, the way we feel, all those things. All of this comes into the brain, and our brain deciphers between all of that input as either signals or noise. And then the signals, they get filtered through a framework. And that framework then informs how we feel about things. That then leads and determines what we do about how we feel. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about this framework that we have in place that filters all of the inputs that we receive in life, all of our experiences, all of our relationships, what's happening right now in this moment or the moment that we'll come, our framework is largely responsible for what thoughts come out of our experiences and what thoughts come from our lives. So to prove it to you this morning, I'm going to walk us through a little exercise because we all have some dominant default mental framework 
that informs our thoughts in our life. So if I showed you this picture, some of you, you go, aw, because you're familiar with this experience. You've had children or been around children. You know what to do when you see a small child that looks like this. Some of you, you, your palms are starting to sweat. You're getting a little nervous. Maybe you're having PTSD flashbacks to when this kind of was every moment of your waking day and non-waking day was this image. For some of you, you've never had any experience with children. This thought kind of terrifies me. I'm like, let me know when they turn four and they can like interact and then I'll hop back in. But we all have some default response to this image based on a framework that we carry with us. For some of you, this image was, wasn't terrifying, but this one is. Yeah, me too. Yeah, this is about as close as I ever want to be to one of those. But if you've spent any time working with animals, and particularly reptiles, there are some crazy people who they, they see this and they want to go pick it up. And they'll hold it and show it around. They have a very different reaction, a very different thought process that happens when they see this based on the framework that they hold. And still some of you, if this doesn't scare you, this does. I have several people in my family. This terrifies them more than any image I have shown. They're like, no, not vegetables. But it's based on your framework. It's similar in ways to how sunglasses work. What you see becomes different based on the lens through which you view things. So in this moment, all of you are looking a little, a little shaded, a little darker. It's filtering out the light. It's impacting what I see. As opposed to these glasses, which are my father's from about the time I was born. They're so old, they're now back in fashion. And so a lot of you, you are looking very distorted from a moment ago. I can't quite see some of you. It's a little blurry because these determine what I see. Everything that's coming in gets filtered through the framework through which we hold in our heads. Now, the issue with the framework, though, is that you can have the same situation, but very different responses and reactions to what happens. So imagine you leave here, and you're going to lunch, and you're in the parking lot, and you're waiting for a spot to open up, and you've got your blinker on, you've been there a sufficient amount of time that everyone in the area should know that you were first in line and that's your parking spot. And about the time the car pulls out from the other direction, the car comes in and takes your spot. Based on whatever framework is in your brain, you're going to think vastly different thoughts, potentially. Some of you are going to be mad. And all the stuff that we just talked about at church is going to go right out the window and you're going to say some things that you're going to have to tell your kids later that you're not supposed to say. And you run through that whole situation because of the framework that you hold in your brain. And some of you, you have a different framework. That doesn't bother you. You don't care. You just laugh it off like, whatever, I guess they were in a hurry. We'll circle the, the lot and find another spot. The framework that you hold in your brain determines your response, and determines so much of your thoughts, and thus so much of your actions and your behavior. Another example could be you're having a conversation with a friend, and you're telling them this really important story, and then all of a sudden, they pull out their phone, and they look down at their phone. Some of you, this is the height of rude behavior. You are so frustrated by this. You think all of these negative things about this friend, and you were trying to share in this moment, and they weren't present with you, and you needed them to be present with you. And some of you don't care. 
because that's not important to you. That's not the framework that you hold in your mind. And so you're able to let it go. Same situation, vastly different reactions, all because of the framework that we hold. Now that's all well and good, but the problem is some of us have a framework that takes us places that we don't really want to go. It informs our thinking in a way that is detrimental to our life. It's negative, it's critical, it's self-loathing. And so our framework is really important because our framework informs our thoughts and our life moves in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And so if we want to begin to get at how we have better, stronger thoughts, we have to look at our framework. Our framework informs our beliefs about ourselves, about our relationships, about our situation in life, and about our future. Imagine, if you will, you've recently come out of a divorce. And because of that experience, because of the pain and all of the difficulties that come with that circumstance, your framework begins to mold and develop some thought patterns and some belief statements that say that you're not that lovable, that you don't know how to choose a good person to be with, that you only end up with losers or jerks, and that you're probably never gonna find a meaningful relationship. Well, if that's your framework, imagine what it would look like to walk around life with that lens in front of you. In fact, it would kind of be like this. You have all of these negative belief statements, and this is how you walk through life. Constantly viewing the world, constantly viewing your experiences, constantly viewing your relationships through the lens of this negative framework. Or maybe you're a parent and your child's struggling in school. And because of that, you've personalized your child's struggles. And you tell yourself things like, I'm not a good parent. I, I'm not smart enough to help my kid. My kid's gonna be a failure because of me and that means I'm a failure. And I've just, maybe my kid would be better off with different parents. And because of those belief statements, this is the framework that you operate with. So you walk around through life and this filters all of your experiences, all of your relationships and informs all of your thinking. I should say there's, there's no spell check on this. So if you're reading some of the words that I wrote, <laughs> don't hold me accountable for the spelling. But this is what happens with our framework. Sometimes we have a negative framework and we walk through life and we wonder why we can't think positive thoughts. We wonder why all of our relationships seem to be marred with a, a tinge of the negative, a tinge of the critical. We never seem to find a good situation. We're not happy at work, and we're not sure what it would look like to be happy at work. And again, so much of it can all come back to the framework we hold. But the good news this morning is that you can choose a different framework. Our framework, while we all have a default framework, it's not fixed. There is hope for us that we could have a different framework because the reality is our framework isn't based on the situation or the circumstances in our life. You don't have to have positive life circumstances to have a positive framework. And in fact, if you take nothing away from this morning, I hope you'll remember this. You can't control what happens to you. 
but you can control how you frame it. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. In fact, why don't we say this together? You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. You've recently come out of a divorce, and while your default framework says that you're unlovable, that you'll never find the right person, that you don't know how to choose an appropriate partner, maybe you have a different framework. You say, no, no, God made me worthy of love. God made me good. I am capable of having an effective relationship. Sure, this last one didn't work, and maybe it taught me some things about myself, some areas that I need to work on to grow as a person, but I'm not giving up hope. I'm not giving up the belief that I can be in a great relationship. Same situation, different framework. That framework informs your thoughts, and those thoughts inform how you feel. And those feelings will inform how you act and behave. Your kid's struggling in school. And you're tempted to go down this negative spiraling kind of self-loathing place. And you say, no, 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 no. This challenge is an opportunity for my child and myself. We're going to keep working hard at this. We're going to fight together. There's hope. Our mindsets, our abilities to learn are not fixed, they're flexible. And our child, my child can learn how to do this. And when they overcome this circumstance and this problem, they'll be more resilient to future obstacles. It doesn't mean that I'm a bad parent, it just means that we have an obstacle to navigate together. I'm not gonna give up. And by not giving up, I'm gonna teach my child not to give up either. Same situation, different framework. You cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at a particular letter in the Bible written by a guy named Paul. And Paul wrote this letter from a very specific place in his life. And the reason we've been looking at this letter is because how often, again and again, over and over, Paul talks about how important our thinking is as it informs and impacts the quality of our lives. And so this morning, I want to look at a particular part of this letter that sets the context and background for everything that Paul has written in this particular letter to this church. See, Paul was hoping as a church planner, as somebody who felt called to spread the message of Jesus, Paul felt called and particularly motivated to get to a specific place in his first century world. And that particular place was Rome. And the reason that Paul wanted to get to Rome was because Paul recognized that it was the information and cultural hub of the then known world. If Paul could take the message of Jesus into Rome, it could be from that place that he would be able to impact, influence, and to share this message in such a way that it could spread everywhere. Instead of going to all of these little places, Paul knew that if he could get to Rome, the message of Jesus would go viral and then everybody would be impacted by it. And so Paul goes to Rome. But what happens when Paul gets to Rome is not what Paul thought would happen when he gets to Rome. Paul gets to Rome and he's immediately arrested and he's placed under house arrest for two years. He's chained to a different Roman guard every eight hours. They keep switching out the guards 
They keep switching out the people who are watching Paul so that they're not persuaded to let Paul go and escape. For two years, Paul sits in this prison under house arrest, feeling unable to do the thing that he came to Rome to do. And so, in the first chapter of this letter to a church in Philippi, Paul writes these words. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me is terrible. As a result of the hell I've been through, I'm giving up on God and never going back to church. That's not what he says. Some of you just got really confused about where this sermon was going this morning. Like, wait a minute, I don't know that that's in there. You're right. It's not. Paul doesn't say this. Even though this is what Paul should say. Even though, based on his situation and his circumstances, it would be totally, totally understandable Completely logical for Paul to respond in this manner to everything that he's experiencing. This would be one framework for the situation that Paul finds himself in. But Paul demonstrates and models for us the ability to choose a different framework. The ability to focus on the positive, to see things in a different light. And it's in that that we can learn how to do the same in our own life. So instead of saying this, Instead of complaining about everything that's happened and coming to conclusions about the future and what he won't be able to do that he wanted to be able to do, Paul changes the frame. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, it has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul's not some Pollyanna who's like, no, it's all fine. Paul recognizes that he's been in prison for two years. He's not saying that it's not miserable, it's not lonely, the cell phone reception's poor. It's not, he's not ignoring the reality of the place that he finds himself in. What Paul's doing is he's changing the interpretation of what that means for his life. This new framework gives Paul a new ability to interpret what's happening to him in a new way. He says, no, all of this it's actually served to advance the gospel. Paul doesn't say that God caused this. Paul doesn't say that, well, God forced me to go to prison and I'm trying to figure out why God would do this to me. No, 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 he's saying, well, this isn't the plan. This wasn't how I thought it was gonna go, but somehow in this, I'm confident that this circumstance and this situation, this is served to advance the gospel. And Paul explains why he believes that. He says, as a result of me being under house arrest for two years, a different Roman guard every eight hours, as a result of all of that, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard, the people watching him, the people making sure that he doesn't escape, the ones chained to him eight hours a day, it is clear to everyone in the palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Paul's saying, you think I'm your prisoner. You're chained to me for eight hours a day, buddy. I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. And so what Paul did is he began to tell these guards who were chained to him about Jesus. He began to preach and inspire and encourage and to point them to the truth of Jesus' power in their own life. The reason that they had to change the guards out every eight hours is because he was converting them so quickly that they knew that if they left somebody there for longer than eight hours, 
they were going to end up a Christian. Paul's saying, hey, this fell right into the plan. You keep sending me people who are strategically placed in this city, people who have a certain authority, a certain amount of influence and responsibility. I couldn't ask for a better audience. Everyone recognizes now that I'm here. The reason that I'm in chains is because this is exactly how God's going to spread the message of Jesus Christ through Rome. It wasn't the way I thought. It wasn't what I expected. It couldn't have been a plan that I would have ever drawn up. But there's, there's an opportunity in this circumstance. There is hope in this challenge. There is promise in this place. And Paul says, listen, everybody knows now that I'm in chains because of Christ. And Paul goes on and says, it gets better. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become even more confident in the Lord and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Me being here, chained to these Roman guards, being able to influence them and to, to minister to them and to preach to them and th having them go out and to begin to spread the word of Jesus, that's just made everybody else all the more eager. People are getting fired up about this because they recognize what God is doing through the midst of these unfavorable circumstances. Paul's saying, listen, I've got a totally different framework about what's happening to me in my life. I'm able to look at this, to look at this situation. And instead of adopting this negative framework and instead of adopting this mentality that says, woe is me, God's forgotten about me, God's never gonna use me the way that I wanted God to use me, where is God in all of this? Things couldn't get any worse. He says, no, I'm gonna choose a new frame. I'm gonna remember that God's faithful throughout all of my circumstances. And I'm gonna remember that even when I don't understand how God is working, God's at work in my life. No, I know that there's an opportunity to find where God is at work in the midst of my situation. So what about us this morning? How do we do this? What does it look like for us to begin to choose a new frame, to begin to reframe the circumstances in our life, to begin to reframe our situation? I think the first thing that it involves is, it'll sound a little silly, it'll sound a little naive, but it's to thank God for what hasn't happened. So you're stuck in traffic. God, thank you that it's only an hour backup instead of two hours. You're getting a little fender bender. God, didn't love that I got in an accident. Thank you for the fact that nobody got injured. Come home from college. Mom and dad, I got a D. At least it wasn't an F. <laughs> I just saved somebody's weekend right now. <laughs> Somebody's like, oh, thank God. It's to begin to acknowledge that while things aren't perfect, they could be a lot worse. My spouse frustrates me, but thank God I'm not married to so-and-so. No looking around. It's to recognize that things aren't perfect, but by the grace of God, things could be a whole lot worse. Things could be a whole lot worse, and to thank God for what didn't happen. And as we begin to thank God for what didn't happen, we'll begin to shift the frame that we hold to see the positive in the midst of our circumstances, to see the opportunity in the midst of our situation, 
to recognize like, God, I don't love the fact that I don't have a job right now, but thank you for the ability to spend time with my family. Thank you for the ability to still be able to put food on the table, even though this lack of employment is creating a problem for us. God, we're not able to have a kid. That's really hard. But thank you for the fact that there are kids all over this world who need a home and for inclining us to maybe consider adoption. There's always a reason to thank God. There is always more that we could be grateful for. And when we begin to pay attention to that, it shifts our focus from what's not right to what is. That's the first step. The second step is to consider pre-framing experiences that you know will be difficult. God, I, I've got a really hard meeting this week and I'm gonna have to say some hard things to a couple of people at work that I'm not really looking forward to. So God, I know that you're gonna be with me in the midst of this conversation. This conversation will be difficult. This conversation will be uncomfortable, but I recognize that you are present throughout all of it and I trust that even if I can't see it in the immediacy, that you will be working in it somewhere. It's to begin to anticipate the presence of God at work in your life. Got my kids struggling in school and they got a big test coming up on Tuesday and they've been studying and I know that they're gonna give it their best. And so God, I just thank you for the lesson that exists in this for our family. The opportunity that even if they don't do well, the opportunity that we'll have to encourage them and to remind them that despite the lack of the grade that they wanted, they're still lovable and they're still worthy. God, thank you for the ability to choose this framework in advance of this situation that I know is coming. As we begin to think about and anticipate the challenges and the experiences in our life that will be difficult, when we can pre-frame what's gonna happen, it helps us maintain a more positive framework to set our expectations appropriately and to begin to look for where God is at work in our life. And then the last way, the last thing that we can do to begin to develop a new framework is to begin to pay attention and to begin to look first for where God is at work in your life. It is so easy for us to frame God through our circumstances to see what's happening around us, to look at what's happened to us, to evaluate the quality of our relationships. And through that framework of what's happening, come to a conclusion, an interpretation, and a meaning about God's goodness, about God's love and care for us. That's how we typically do it, is we look at what's happening, and from that we draw conclusions about where God is or isn't in our life. But what if we do the opposite? What if we do what Paul does? And we say, no, 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 this is actually serving God's work in my life. I'm going to filter my circumstances through the predetermined lens, the pre-chosen framework of God's goodness. I'm going to always be on the lookout for where God is at work in my life. The way that God is molding me, shaping me, redeeming my story. Even when the circumstances are unfavorable, even when it doesn't feel like God is present, I have predetermined and I have chosen that God's goodness is present in my life and I'm going to find it no matter how difficult it may be 
I have a friend who comes to church here, and I think his story is a perfect example of what this looks like in our lives. His name's Tom, and Tom's been sick for about seven years with a particularly kind of sinister kind of illness. It pops up and then goes away, and pops up and then goes away intermittently. And sometimes he's down for a couple of days, and sometimes he's down for a couple of weeks. And when he's down for a couple of weeks, it's so much so that he's, he's typically confined to a bed, daily IV treatments, and there's no kind of prognosis about how this is gonna change and how this is gonna get better. And so over the course of our friendship, Tom shared with me the struggle that he's had trying to find God's goodness in the midst of these circumstances. But over time, through God's grace, he's been able to do so. And then two weeks ago, I get this email. It says, Stephen, I'm experiencing some significant health issues again resulting from my chronic illness. I simply cannot continue to lead our small group any longer. This saddens me more than you know and causes me to question why God would allow this illness to take me away from fellowship and leadership opportunities at the church. I'm so sad and confused. Please keep me in your prayers as I seek to make sense of what God is doing in my life. I feel lost and confused. And then he ends with this. But I remain faithful. I talked to Tom yesterday on the phone to ask him if I could share part of his story with him. And he said, of course. And I said, how you feeling? He said, not great. I said, what's your thoughts look like? He said, I'm in a better place. I said, tell me about that. He said, it's easy to get down. It's easy to doubt God's goodness in my life. He said, but when I look back, I'm reminded again and again and again, if even though this isn't the path that I would have chosen, God has been present this whole time. See, what's happened in Tom's absence is his small group has stepped up and now there's a whole set of new leaders who are leading this group. Leaders who probably wouldn't have emerged had Tom continued to lead his group. Now, did God cause Tom's illness to raise up new leaders? No, I don't think that's how it works. But there was an opportunity in Tom's illness for new leaders to step up. And so Tom was like, you know, it's amazing to me that God's been able to use this that God is at work in this to impact the lives of those men. And I said, buddy, if you let me tell your story, it's gonna impact the lives of a whole lot more people than just those men. And I know that was never the plan. It was never what you thought would happen. But even in the midst of your circumstances, God's goodness is present. I'm proud of Tom for his ability, even through the struggle, to come back to the place where he chooses the framework to look at his circumstances through God's goodness as opposed to evaluating God's goodness through his circumstances. It's tough. This isn't a thing that you'll get right tomorrow and then never worry and struggle with it ever again. But this is something that we can work on by starting to look for all of the good that exists in our lives because of the things that didn't happen, the ways that things could have been a whole lot worse, the ways that we can begin to anticipate when things are going to be hard and the ways that we can begin to choose in advance the framework through which we view this world. This doesn't have to be the lens through which you view your life. 
This doesn't have to be the framework through which you look at all of your relationships. This doesn't have to be how you anticipate your future. It doesn't have to work like this. There is an opportunity to choose something different and to recognize God's presence in your life and to begin to choose a new framework that will help you see your life, your relationships, and your future in a totally different light. And my prayer for all of us is that we could make this choice. Imagine what would happen in our lives if we began to choose to look for God's goodness, to anticipate and to trust that even when it's not clear, God's at work in our lives. Let me pray for our time together this morning. Gracious God, we come before you in these moments to thank you, to thank you for the way that you have been faithful to us this whole time, even in the moments when we can't see you, even in the moments when it doesn't feel like you're present. Your grace and goodness is with us every step of the journey. God, help us to choose. Help us to choose to trust you. Help us to choose a new framework that reminds us that you love us each and every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org.